you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, hey, here's our theme for today's podcast. Let's give them something to talk about. What is it that makes you remarkable? When people watch you work and see the results you produce, is there something remarkable in that? Is it something they're going to talk about? Or is it the same thing a robot could do? Well, a lot of the times when I hear people going through career transitions, they kind of imply they have nothing about them that is remarkable. Like, how could I compete with a 22-year-old who has a brand new degree? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. At 42, you don't have things that make you remarkable? more than a 22-year-old could ever come up with. There ought to be plenty of things that you have that make you stand out. We're going to be talking about how you identify those things. Here's some of the questions we'll be looking at. Dan, I have two terminations, and I'm not really sure why. Hmm, interesting. How should I price my quilting photography? How about this one? Dan, I can find a fatal flaw in every idea my wife and I come up with. How can we move into our dream life? How do you get past the obstacle if you see why something won't work before you give it a chance to work? Well, you may be um, surprised by part of my response on that one. Someone says, my husband and I would like to start a business flipping RVs on Craigslist. What are the downsides? And how about this? I haven't worked outside the home for 30 years. I've homeschooled my eight children and been a pastor's wife. How can I possibly compete with a real resume? See, there's one of those questions. 30 years as a mom and wife, raising, homeschooling eight children, a pastor's wife. You don't have things that make you remarkable, that make you a very attractive candidate compared to somebody that's got just a normal resume, my goodness, we'll help you unpack that. If we have time, I'm going to address a few more questions that came from a recent teleseminar we did on second act careers or encore careers. What do you do when you're looking at an encore career when maybe you've put in 30 years somewhere and now you're looking at, yeah, you don't want to just, you know, sit on a golf course every day. You need something to do. How do you identify what you do. If we have time, I'll go into some of those. Here's a quotation for today. It comes from Charles de Gaulle, who said, a man of character finds a special attractiveness in difficulty since it is only by coming to grips with difficulty that he can realize his potential. How about that? Sometimes we shy away from any kind of difficulty. Yeah, I know it's tough, but if we really frame it in a way that we know it's leading to something better, we ought to welcome it. I, like many of you, I'm sure the other night watched the basketball, college basketball finals. Rick Pitino you know, used to coach at University of Kentucky and then went into the pros for a little bit, then came back and now he's been coaching Louisville and taking them to yet another national championship. But Rick Pitino, years ago, I heard him say, failure is the fertilizer for success. You know, if you've never failed, you don't know how good you are. Got to go through that. But again, what what a what an amazing basketball game that was. I'm not a sports guy, but it caught my attention, and I watched it all the way to the end. Well, this week, Joanne and I 
we're outside. We're, we're excited about spring. I mean, my goodness, so many things happening. All the trees just popping out. Our Yushina cherries and all of the fruit trees in full blossom right now. Just gorgeous, gorgeous. Well, I'm looking at things we want to do here being spring outside. We have two of our lights outside that have been damaged or destroyed by falling trees. So I decided rather than just trying to match those, uh, the ones that are there, been there quite a while, we're going to replace them. We're going to get some new lights. And so I started looking online. And Joanne was like, well, can't we get them at Home Depot? And I said, yeah, yeah but at Home Depot, you're going to get the same thing everybody else has. I said, you know what we do here? We do things that are remarkable, things that people talk about. I said, when we, even when we get lights, it's something simple as that. You know, let's give them something to talk about. Now, you know what immediately came to mind? I'll play a short clip and then we'll go on. Well, there you go. Let's give them something to talk about. You know, I just that just comes up in my thinking, even if it's a simple kind of thing. So if we're going to get lights for the outside of the house, let's get something unique. Now, we found some really awesome lights. They're almost, they look like they'd be on a medieval castle. And we have a lot of stonework on our house and stained glass. And so we just thought they'd fit nice. So I've ordered those. Now, this is not a matter of, you know, spending 10 times the money. No, it's just a matter of taking the time to do something remarkable. Now, here's some of the things that, that we have done in our house. And many of you have been to our house, so you see the things that I'm talking about. We have a big window that is leaded glass. Now, you don't usually see that in just a country house, a farmhouse, kind of like we have. Our house is a simple house, but we've done things to make it remarkable. So we have a big leaded glass window that is just stunning. We, we took probably a year to sketch it out and look at options before we had it made and installed and we absolutely love it. We've got stained glass in various places in the house, have some pieces in our living room just hanging in the corners of a big bay window, some pieces we found in a consignment shop down in Nacomas, Florida. They weren't expensive, but they're just a unique addition and people comment on it when they walk into our house. Above the bay window in our living room in calligraphy is written a verse from Proverbs 1430. It says a heart at peace gives life to the body. What emphasizes the feeling we want people to have when they come to our house, that being one of peace. Joanne likes to describe our house as a haven of peace. So we do just little things to give that sense of peace in the lighting, the colors, the candles, the smells, peace. We do things, we play games together. Joanne and I play games together every single day. One of our favorite is Quiddler. It's a card game. We have the sets of Quiddler in every one of our cars and uh, in our house, various places. When we go out to eat, you know, which we do all the time, you know, we grab the cards and we're known all around town as the couple that plays Quiddler. And we've turned a lot of people onto that particular card game. We give them away at live events here, just did our, our innovate event, but we introduce people to that. But it's, it's, it's a unique way of communicating. You know how many couples we see sitting at restaurants and they're just sitting there, you know, looking at the sky or, or hoping that they, there's a TV within range or looking at their iPhones. 
Well, Joanne and I are interacting. And one of the ways that it's easy to interact is over a game of Quiddler. It stimulates our looking for new words, conversation to come up because of words that we use. Just something. Let's do something remarkable. <clears throat> There's a little place that we have in just the turn of our driveway coming from our house back to the sanctuary. It was kind of a rough area and I had it bulldozed last year and then had filtered dumped in there. Well, it's an area probably about 40 by 40 or so. And I'm thinking, well, I could just seed it with grass. And then I thought, well, let's do something to kind of give it a, and make it a destination point where when we're walking, it attracts your attention. So I could plant roses there. Well, gee, everybody plants roses. So we've been talking about that. You know what we're going to do? We're going to plant blueberries, blackberries, and raspberries. Now our grandkids will love it. It'll be something remarkable, something they talk about. And I can't wait to get started on that. I already tilled up the area. I'm letting it set a little bit, but I've already identified the plants that I want to get to put in so we can start growing our own blackberries and raspberries. Now, my, my point in this is simply to prompt you to think, what are you doing in your life that's remarkable? What are you doing that gives people something to talk about? How do you break out of just the routine, boring monotony that we see so many people get trapped in? And then all of a sudden they're 65 years old and think, wow, I never really did anything unique. I never really did anything authentic to me. I just kind of did what was expected, went through the motions. Well, don't do that. Do something remarkable. Do something that people talk about. You can do that in just in the little things that you do. You know, where I get our cars washed right here in Franklin they had some samples of car mats, floor mats there. Well, Joanne is really attracted to animal prints and things that are pretty flashy, ostentatious in general. And our grandkids talk about different fabric that we have in the house. And our little granddaughter, you know, even at like three years old, would talk about prints that were ferocious. Well, I happened to see a sample of some formats that were like a leopard print. Joanne has a ivory parchment is the color of the Lincoln aviator that she drives anyway. And so I was able to get formats in a matching color with kind of an ivory and black, but it's like a leopard print. And then I got the piece de resistance, a steering wheel cover in the same print. Well, when I first got those and put those on, brought the car home, she was like, you got to be kidding me. I mean, you really think I'm going to drive a car with that? But she very quickly not only got accustomed to it, but proud of it. Our grandkids absolutely love it. Can't wait to get in her car because of the ferocious floor mats and steering wheel cover. Now, that didn't cost any more than normal floor mats, but I don't want normal. I want something that people are going to talk about. Now, I hope this doesn't sound like this is just some egotistical kind of trip, you know, that I want to be at the center of attention. That's not it at all. I want to be in the background, but I, I want it to get people's attention. I mean, that's why I've always been drawn to cars that do that. I mean, when my head snaps around driving down the street, it's probably because there's some exotic car that just went by. I love things that are different. I grieve the fact that cars have become so common. A Volvo looks exactly like a Jag, which looks exactly like a Monte Carlo Chevy. Are you serious? I mean, I love the old days when cars had unique distinctiveness. Today they don't. Well, that's another story. Well, 
do something, give them something to talk about. Let's go to the questions. Well, you know, another thing real quick, I usually share something positive here. Just a quick note, I've been communicating with a young guy named Josh Shipp, S-H-I-P-P. Now, you may have seen him on his own TV show. He's got a series, documentary series, Teen Trouble. Uh, Been on various TV shows, but uh, Josh Shipp was a young guy who was raised with a lot of disadvantages. Golly, abandoned by his birth parents, raised in foster care system, went through horrendous stories there, written off as a lost cause when he was a kid, abused, suicidal, junior high school, in and out of jail, short, you know, kind of makes fun of the way he looks even today. But he figured out he wanted to do something remarkable. And boy, is he ever doing that has already written a couple of books. He wrote the teen's guide to world domination and he's got a new book coming out and he asked me if I would write an endorsement, which I was delighted to do. The book is absolutely hilarious, but it's titled jump ship by Josh ship jump ship. But so he's got, he's in high demand as a speaker at high schools and universities uh, is paid extremely well for doing that. Has a book out, has a TV show. Now he's coming out with another book with the Wiley Brothers, Jump Ship, and I'll tell you more about that when it comes along. But again, what a what a thrill to see somebody who came through what seemingly are some challenging situations and yet decided not to become victim of those circumstances, but to carve out an absolute dream life. He talks in in the first chapter of the book about talking yourself out of your dream job. Talk yourself out of it. Because his theory is if you can talk yourself out of it, you don't have enough commitment to make it happen. So if you can talk yourself out of it, go ahead. If you can talk yourself out of it, and we're going to talk, talk more about that with one of the questions we got coming up. If you see why something won't work in advance, guess what? You're never going to do it. You're never going to do something extraordinary. Well, we are going to blast through a whole lot of questions here coming up. Again, this is Dan Miller, 48 Days Online Radio. If you got a question... Just go to the 48days.com site, click on the podcast link. You'll see an opportunity there where you can submit your question. Shoot that in to me. I'd be happy to consider it for an upcoming show. Love the opportunity to go through these real-life questions that you all provide every week. Consider it an extreme honor to be able to do so. Well, this comes from Carl, who says, I have two terminations, one of which I'm fighting with a lawyer. The other, I'm not really sure why I got put on administrative lead leave. And then a week later, I got a letter stating I was terminated for policy and procedures. When I filed for unemployment, I was denied for misconduct. I'm not really sure what I got let go for. Now, every time I get an interview, they ask me why I left those jobs. I tell them I was let go. And that's the last time I hear from them. Can you please help tell me how I can tell them I was let go without trying or without lying to them still come out smelling like a rose? Well, a couple things, Carl, here that I would suggest that you deal for one is why were you terminated twice? Now, if you're fighting it with a lawyer, you must have some reason to think it was unfair, but be that as it may. And and personally, I think that's negative energy. I think you ought to drop that and move on. I mean, we're most states we're in. I don't have the state that you're in here, but most states are at will work states, which means If somebody doesn't like the color shirt you're wearing when you show up in the morning, they can terminate you. And to fight that, to fight for your right to stay there, how how do you win in that situation? Let's say that you win. 
that you have some hotshot lawyer and he determines that you win. Do you really want to go back and work there when the people who are there don't want you there? I mean, nobody wins with that. Just go on. But you ought to know, why did you get fired? Why are you getting fired repeatedly? You need to know that. That's valuable information that you need to know and unpack before you can go out here and really be confident about moving forward. What is it that puts you in that kind of a position where people don't want you on their team? So be real honest with yourself in looking at that. Now, as far as the other part goes, when you get an interview, they ask you why you left those jobs and you tell them you got canned, fired, axed, deep sixed. Well, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to be that brutally honest. People don't normally ask why you left. If you put together your resume and it shows, you know, your job history, it shows your skills clearly, what you're a candidate for, you know, they're going to focus on that. If it does come up, just, you can just simply say it became clear that we weren't on the same page. Our goals didn't match and it was time to move on. You can say that, which really makes it look like it was a mutual decision. That's not being misrepresentative or deceitful in any way. I mean, and and plus people know that people get let go through no fault of their own. Very competent people are being let go every day. So it's not really a red flag unless there are other things that show up as a red flag. So don't make a big deal out of that. Just say that, you know, you've been there for some time. It was clear that there wasn't really, it wasn't really a good match for you. And you recognized it was time to move on. Now, you also may think, and this comes up a lot, where people think, well, I'm not getting any job offers because they're calling my old bosses and they tell them, you know, they didn't like me, they canned me for misconduct. No, that is not happening. Employers are not going to give that kind of information out. There's way too much litigation out there at risk, putting them at risk should they share that kind of information. And they do not do that. An employer would have to be an idiot to share that they fired you for misconduct. I mean, not at all. I mean, what they're going to do is verify employment dates. And I've been through this a lot with people. You know, the the bad news is not coming from old employers. The bad news is coming from the impressions they're getting from you in the interview. So work on that. How do you come across as a really great candidate? How can you be clear on the skills that you have? How can you be clear in the value, the contribution that you're going to make in a new organization. So people do want you on their team, not just initially, but on an ongoing basis. Sean from uh, Bessiris, Ohio. Wow. Bessiris, Ohio, just outside of Galleon, Ohio. It's where my wife's grandmother lived. We used to go over there and right near Bessiris, Ohio. Well, Sean says one of my goals this year is to learn to speak Spanish. I heard you mentioned a while back on your program that you're learning or learning Spanish. You said, You'd give us an update. I don't remember hearing one. I'm interested in the results. What program you used? Well, I am learning Spanish this morning on the treadmill. The first 30 minutes was listening to Spanish. I purchased a program called Pimsler. Pimsler, it's very conversational. You're not learning conjugations and grammar and syntax and all that. You're just learning conversation. And I love the way that it's done. Now, this is a pretty comprehensive program. There are in this I think there are 36 CDs with two segments each on them. So I listen for 30 minutes every morning and I'm on section. Now I do a lot of repetition 
as well because I really am learning and I, and I really love what's happening. Uh, don't ask to Albano. I mean, I can ask anybody where the bathroom is. I mean, <laughs> and it goes way beyond that. But I am learning it and feeling pretty comfortable with it. We have a lot of Spanish-speaking guys around, you know, doing various things at various times, and I'm becoming more comfortable asking questions, responding to things with them. So I'm really enjoying it. But I'm using Pimsleur, and yes, it's going very well. I would highly recommend it. The they they had an initial package that was like ten bucks which just kind of whets your appetite. And then if you don't cancel it, they send you the next thing, this big package. And I think it, I think they charge me three monthly payments of $64 or something like that. Now here's the deal. And this is kind of an interesting point perhaps, because I know that I could have gone on Craigslist or eBay and purchased that package for probably a third what I paid for it, perhaps less. I don't know, but I ordered it through this system, got their initial information, knew that I really didn't like the way that they presented it. I had them send me the next thing and I knew that I was going to be paying for that and paying, you know, quite a bit for it. I purposely let that go because I thought that increases my commitment to it. So then instead of just something I throw on a shelf if I get around to it, no, I invested money in this. And because of that, I would have to be stupid not to take advantage of what I paid for. So I purposely overpaid knowing that I could have purchased it in secondhand. A lot of people get this, don't use it, want to just get rid of it. But I purposely just did it in this way because I knew my investment and commitment would be higher as a result. I think there's a principle in that, that sometimes we, we try to get around I mean, in, in working with people and coaching. I mean, it's the people who we try to just help out who do the least. They don't show up. They don't follow through. They don't do what's suggested. But the people who invest in it are the ones who say, wow, you know, I paid for this. I mean, I've got a coaching program right now. Matter of fact, I'll be in Atlanta a couple of days this week meeting with my coach, my speaking coach. And uh, we're going to be spending a couple of days. There's about four of us in this group. We're going to be meeting in Atlanta from around the country. But I, I paid a lot for that program. Guess what? It gets my attention because of that. I've invested in it. So it gets my attention. And I'm delighted with the things that are happening as I refine my speaking options and my speaking success. Thanks for your question, Sean. Amy from Michigan says, your resources have been a big help. I'm a newly discovered entrepreneur. That's interesting. A newly discovered entrepreneur. So it just kind of uh, snuck up on you and you realized you are one of them, huh? Well, Amy says, I'm a quilter starting a business photographing quilts for owners. My unique aspect is that I will show the texture of the quilt made by the decorative stitching, holding all the layers together. Most photographs don't show this. My question is pricing. I've been advised to not ever discount my main service. So I will also print a high quality fine print. I don't want to compete with the one hour photo places. The paper and ink don't cost much. My goal my first year is to give away as many as possible. But this past weekend, I visited a local quilt show, visited with all the regional vendors. I met a quilt store owner, self-publishing a book and a pattern designer. Do I give them a business to business price? How do I price this market? Now you, you presented a whole lot of things there, Amy, that don't have specific answers. 
This is way more art than science. You just test. You test what it is you're doing. I mean, have three options. Have a $500, a $300, and a $99 option and see where people fall in that. I mean, if you're doing business to business, not necessarily should that be priced differently than anything else. I mean, we, if we price books to a university or to um, some kind of a business that wants to buy them in bulk, now if they buy enough quantity, we'll give them a discount. But just on a one-by-one one basis, the pricing isn't any different than if it's somebody off the street. So, no, I wouldn't do that. Don't make it so complicated. But just test. You're going to have to test. You're in a, a market where there's not a lot of prototypes already or precedents already set out there. So you're just going to have to test to see what will the market bear? What will people pay for? So don't think that there's a right way to do it. Just test to see what you can actually engage people with. You know, how good are you at selling your services so that people will, in fact, pay? Jay from Minnesota says, you've talked about the difficulty high seat individuals have accepting a business idea. What are some tools or processes high C personality types can use to evaluate a business idea without throwing every single one out? Now, here's the deal. In the C personality, C personality is somebody who's very good with details, very analytical, logical. They want lots of facts and information before they make a decision. We know that with any personality strength, if overused, it can become a weakness. So if somebody is very outgoing, they're a high I, they're very outgoing, very social, gregarious. That's a great skill to have. But you know, sometimes those people are in sales positions and they end up talking for three hours when they miss their opportunity to close a sale and move on and make another presentation. That would be an example of overusing that. A lot of people who are counselors are high S's. They're very compassionate, considerate, understanding, nurturing, loyal, those kind of skills. But what happens in a counseling session, sometimes all they do is just listen empathetically. They just say, "Uh uh-huh, I understand. Well, ultimately, you've got to break a pattern of behavior with somebody. You need to tell them, stop doing that. Don't do that anymore. If somebody's a high C, as Jay is describing here, has the skills to gather facts and information to find why something won't work, well, guess what? That will, in fact, do just that. Now, here's how that can also work. Let's say that I say, hey, let's get together Sunday afternoon. We'll have a volleyball game out here on the grass beside the sanctuary. There's, hey, cool, man, I'll bring baked beans. I'll bring barbecue. A high seat may say, well, what if it rains? And I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. What a downer. See, sometimes the realistic, practical side of what a C brings to the table can be seen as being a wet blanket. And that's what Jay is describing here. Every idea... Here he continues. Jay says, I'm such a person. I can find, I find I can identify a fatal flaw in every idea my wife and I come up with. We dream about the type of flexibility and freedom a business can provide, what we could provide for our family, but we can't get started. Well, Jay, as in many things, recognizing the issue is half the solution. So recognizing that your tendency is half the solution. I recognize that in my personality, I'm a high D, very direct, 
quick to get to the point. Bottom line, don't bother with hype and emotion. Boom. What's the bottom line? Let's move on. With my children, that's not always productive. With Jared, especially, our middle child, if I just went with my natural style, it would immediately stop our communication. He'd just clam up. I mean, he'd be like a turtle just back in his shell. I lost him. I have to talk to him, listen, pull things out, do something together, tinker on his bicycle with him for an hour and a half, and then he'd start to open up and talk. Now, is that my natural style? No, but I realized to be effective in that situation, I was going to have to be different than just my natural style. We can do that. If you recognize your tendency to see why something won't work, you can just tell yourself, you need to stop that. You need to not do that. You need to give yourself a chance. You need to identify 10 ideas, narrow down to three, do a little bit more research, choose one and act knowing that you're committed to moving forward, that you're not going to sabotage this one more time by seeing why it won't work in advance. I mean, we can take any idea, any idea. If you want to start a window washing business, wow. What if you crack somebody's window? You may blow a whole day's profits in replacing the window. What if you went into a spell where you had a week of below freezing weather? You couldn't work at all. Well, gee, I guess I won't start a window washing business. I know people that wash windows that make extraordinary amounts of money because they do it when the weather is cooperative. They have great service. They provide for people. We were sitting in a little restaurant in a town down in Georgia a month or so ago. And just one of the very first spring days and boy, it's came guy came down the street whistling with a bucket and a squeegee. Well, he did about eight businesses that he obviously had agreements with to just do their windows whenever the weather was nice enough. And I thought, what a great business to be able to do that. You know, your presentation reminds me, there's an old video clip of Bob Newhart as a psychologist. A lady comes in to him with a problem. He's got a very specific solution for it. It's a hilarious clip. Check this out. I'm going to play a little bit. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well... I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, you're there. Stop it! 
Stop it. Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, 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 you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it. I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. <laughs> I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good girl. Well, there you go. Hey, I'm having a little fun with that. But you know, sometimes we make these things too complex. So if I know that I have a natural tendency to respond in a particular way, can I choose to do that differently? If I know that I never remember people's names when I'm introduced to them, can I change that? Well, sure I can. I can focus on that. Take a Dale Carnegie course. They'll, they'll change that. You change that by simply focusing on that area of weakness and just deciding to do it differently. So I do remember people's names when I'm introduced to them. If your tendency is to always see the fatal flaw to know why something won't work, stop it. <laughs> the old Bob Newhart advice, stop it. Don't talk yourself out of everything. You, you know the results. You'll never do anything new. You'll never try anything exciting. You'll never move into this dream life you describe with time flexibility and increased income. You're trapped. So don't do that. Now, that doesn't mean you just go out on a wing and a prayer, but that means that you look at 20 ideas for things that do fit what you know about yourself, areas of interest that you already have. You research those. You narrow down to three or four ideas. You can do this in a 30 day period. Incidentally, make a list of 20 ideas, possibilities you can do narrow down very quickly, knowing what you know about yourself and your wife to three or four things that would be possibilities. Do a little bit more research, get the advice and opinion of other people, narrow down to one, create a plan of action and commit yourself to a year without ever looking back or second guessing yourself. Now that's just a sequence of decisions. There's nothing rocket science about that. You don't need to change how God has wired you, but you just decide this is what you're going to do to break out of this log jam of always seeing why something won't work. Now in, in working with people and coaching people where we know in advance that they have a high C personality, when I'm working with somebody who wants to do something more entrepreneurial, more creative, non-traditional, I always tell them, now my concern is going to be that you're going to come up with Yes, but as soon as we come up with an idea, you're going to say, well, yeah, but, and you're going to talk yourself out of doing anything. Said so if that's what you're going to go with on every idea, then I can't help you. I can't, I can't make you get through that particular process. But Jay, you can do that. You can do that. Just start with 20 down to three, choose one, move forward, have fun and know that you're going to open up a brand new season of your life. Chris from Houston says, Dan, my impression from reading your materials and listening to your podcast is that you generally discourage people from entering into business partnerships. Usually that advice is given in the context of small businesses. 
But what do you think about partnerships at law or consulting firms, for example? Such partner opportunities are contractually binding, but also offer the opportunity to generate passive income by sharing in the earnings of the firm. Are these opportunities a good idea, or would you still advise against any and all partnerships? Well, you're talking about a unique application of partnerships. There's no doubt about it. I mean, I, I had a client recently who is an anesthesiologist, and he's part of a 26-partner practice. There's 26 of them. They're all equal partners. So they rotate responsibilities, but they share income, divvy things up once a quarter and all that. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. Is it trouble-free? Not at all. It's fraught with challenges. There's always going to be somebody who thinks somebody else isn't carrying their weight or somebody who's getting poor reviews. And you know, it, there's always going to be challenges to that in any kind of a partnership. I think they're tough, even in a professional practice like that. I would not want to be part of one. Now, that's really what it comes down to. You're simply asking, would I want to be part of one? No, I would choose a different profession if I had to, rather than having to be expected to you know, be part of a practice. I mean, even, even if you take a law firm, I mean, there have been six bazillion movies made about people trying to become a partner in a, pract- in a, pra- in a law firm practice. You know, is that always a good thing? Nah, you're usually expected, you know, to put in 80 hours a week. You know, you give up your life to become a partner. Well, that's not appealing to me. I mean, what are the advantages of being a full partner in a business like that? Unless it conforms with what I see as an ideal, attractive life, I don't want to be part of it, even if it has locked in, guaranteed contractual benefits and income. Well, that's not what it's all about. I want to live the life that I want, not just force somebody to pay me a particular amount of income. Ah, I just, I'm not a fan of them. Not a fan of them. I think they open the door to challenges and hard feelings, even under the best of circumstances. Mary from Virginia says, Dan, my husband and I would like to start a business flipping RVs, recreational vehicles on Craigslist. Once we have purchased some land, the only downside we can see is figuring out the titling and registration process. We know there would be a higher startup cost, but we'll save for that. What other downsides would there be that we should know about? Thanks for your excellent podcast. Well, thanks, Mary. Well, I like your business idea. I mean, RVs are more open-ended in terms of pricing than even cars. I mean, with cars, you're going to have kind of general guidelines for what a car is worth. RVs, it really opens up. There's so many differences in those. There's so many variances in the economy, even based on geographic areas. So an RV that you purchase here in Nashville, you may be able to tack on another $2,000 if you take it to Colorado and sell it there or vice versa. I don't know the specifics right now, but I've seen those kind of variances over the years a lot. I like the open-endedness. I like the fact they're a bigger ticket item. I mean, I bought an RV one time. I think it was, it might've been Craigslist, might've been eBay. I'm not real sure. But when I buy an eBay, I usually see something and I negotiate a deal with the seller really quickly. So it doesn't go through the full auction process, but bought an 
an RV. It only had 30, 30, 36,000 miles on it. It had been setting for a couple years. So it was in a um, kind of a resort area and had just been sitting there. It had very few miles on it. And I bought it, I mean, for just pennies. It was amazing how little I bought it for. Flew to get it. It was just um, south of Chicago. I flew up there, drove it back home, sight unseen, just jumped in the driver's seat and drove it back home and then cleaned it out. As it turns out, there's a funny story with that. I, I kept digging in the top part and kept getting more and more fur. And it turns out there was a dead raccoon in the upper part of the RV. We had to tear a little section out to get to the skeleton. Now it was fully decomposed, so it wasn't even smelly, but it was a funny story because we discovered a dead raccoon in that particular one. But I've, I've had a lot of success with RVs. One of the very first RVs that I ever sold when I was in the car business years ago, when I was a young punk in California, guy had his RV parked on my lot, just storing it. Well, he never took it out. And I finally told him, you know, why don't you just let me sell that thing? Well, we negotiated a price. I simply bought it from him, drove it on a couple long trips. We enjoyed it. I sold it and made $4,000. Well, that was more than I'd ever made on a vehicle transaction of any kind. I was blown away. I thought, man, there's a lot of potential here in finding RVs that aren't being used by people, just buying them reasonably, cleaning them up and selling them. So I think you're on the right track. Now, as far as it goes with the titling and registration, that's a state specific area. You're in Virginia. I don't know what the laws are there. Here, if you're going to be a retail seller of RVs, then you need to have a lot. So there are going to be requirements to have a retail license. And if you're going to have some land, chances are that's what you're going to want to do. So you go ahead and get a license. I mean, it requires that you have certain kinds of liability insurance. It's not a real complicated deal. They're going to require that you've got like 2,000 square feet of graveled or paved land that you can park vehicles on. You have to have a, a standalone office for that with 10 inch letters on your sign. I mean, there are real specifics in any state. You can get that from your state. What are the requirements to get your retail vehicle license? And then you're ready to go. I mean, titling and license and registering is not a big deal. If you have your license, then you can purchase without having to pay sales tax. I mean, that's a biggie. That's a big advantage. If you're selling them just as an individual, when you buy a vehicle, then you have to pay sales tax on that. So if you buy a $10,000 vehicle, I mean, here in, in Nashville, I mean, that's going to cost you essentially another $1,000. So you just lost a $1,000 profit margin because you had to run it through your name and pay sales tax in that transaction. As a retail dealer, you don't have to do that. You buy it, don't pay tax on it, just hold an open title. So you've got that extra $1,000. If you sell it for $12,000, you then made 2000 rather than one. So yeah, there's a lot of advantages to getting your license. Now, if you're just going to play with it and you're going to do three or four a year, then it may not be worth going through the headache of getting your own license. You can do that. And there are ways you can do that. I mean, you can buy things and keep an open title on it, just not register it. Again, I've talked about this. Some people think that's illegal. Well, it's kind of a gray area perhaps, but uh, certainly um, something I, I don't, I'm not real concerned about doing that a couple times a year. Now you're not going to do that 20 times, but if you do that a couple times a year, I think that's still reasonable. So, just decide if you, this is something you really want to ramp up, then 
make yourself a dealer, get a great place, have fun with it. I think you're in, a, in an area that has a lot of potential in terms of the kind of vehicles that you're talking about. Well, let me catch my breath here and we'll grab a couple more questions. Again, Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. You know, we're, we're doing a lot of new things here. We just did our Innovate Conference that was an absolute blast. Have one more coming up in September that's filling up quickly. You want to check that out, rub shoulders with other creative people. That'd be a great way to do it. Also in May, we've got our next Coaching with Excellence event coming up. This is a way that uh, you can figure out how to position yourself as a coach and not only how to coach people effectively, how to tell people to stop it and have them transform their lives, but how to get paid well in doing that as well. That's Coaching with Excellence or, or check out our Coaching Mastery Program. That's something that we have added fairly recently, but it's a a more in-depth process of being coached to be a coach. And we're having a lot of fun with that. Got some great people coming through the the ending process of that already, where they will be certified as a licensed 48 days coach. And we're delighted to have them in there. So if you want to check that out, by all means do that. You know, we got something going on right now. I just did a blog that's running right now, but a special on our mastermind document. Now, as you know, I talk about being involved in a mastermind group and part of a group for years has untold impact on my life and the success that I've had. And people ask about that. People ask Dave Ramsey about it, the group that he and I started years ago. So I wrote a document one plus one equals three, creating your own mastermind group. We got a special going on that right now for $7. It's normally $17. And we're combining with that an audio on how to deal with failure. So those two things together would normally be $38. We got them running right now for seven bucks. If you jump on that, just go to our product area in 48days.com, find the mastermind piece. We're going to leave that up for I'm not sure how long Ashley my daughter has got the details on that but just a few days but catch that if you're listening to this and want that let us know we'll make sure we can back end you into that if we pull it down but go ahead and catch that seven bucks to get you those two items the one on mastermind being something that has profoundly changed the success path for people ran into a young man at a the buttercup festival on Saturday that we took a couple of our granddaughters to just walking the streets, having a great time playing Had a young man stop me. He's a celebrity photographer, uh, very well known, but he accessed that document from me about six months ago, started a group and said it has been transformative in terms of what's happening in his own business and personal life. So check that out. Love to have you get involved in that. Kelly Kelly says, I haven't worked outside the home for 30 years. I've homeschooled my eight children, been a pastor's wife. How can I possibly compete with a real resume? This is one of those I alluded to early in the show where if you have that many years of raising eight children, homeschooling them, wife of a pastor, you ought to have tons of stories, but a whole lot of refined skills. Now, keep in mind, when you put together a resume or when you go out and approach an organization about bringing value to their company, you present skill areas that you have. Those do not have to be based in jobs that you were paid for. So as a homeschooling mom, you may be really good at budgeting and forecasting, handling inventory, you know, just keeping the food in the house for that many people is a big deal. You know, if that's a skill area of yours, you need to be able to show that and talk about it. You may be good at 
um, trans- transportation logistics, just coordinating, getting people everywhere. So we would frame it as such. You may be good at coordinating a fundraiser for a local organization, but list realistically the things that you have proven your competence in. Those are things that you can put on a resume every bit as much as you worked for Procter and Gamble from 1988 to you know 2001. No, just put on there the skill areas that you've developed. You can make yourself a very attractive candidate in doing that. Well, we may go into more of these encore career questions that people uh, came in with. I'll insert those as we can in an upcoming podcast. We are already at the end of our time. The time has gone quickly as always. Thanks for being part of this amazing community. Check out the 48days.net community. Lots of people there who are willing to share their insight, expertise, and advice helping you toward your path to success. We know that a rising tide raises all ships. We see a lot of that happening as together we are finding or creating work that is meaningful, purposeful, fulfilling, and profitable. Make sure you're on that path. Have a great week.